0: Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one. God's one this is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 16, April 22 through 28. This is Matthew 18, Luke 10, What Shall I Do to Inherit Eternal Life? Okay, so first off, I want to say I am sorry if you hear saxophone in the background of this podcast episode. My son is practicing his saxophone, and um, it's very loud, <laughs> so if any of you have it, kids that play instruments at home, you know about practice time. So that's what's going on at my house right now. Um, Also, we are like way far ahead. I know April 22nd through 28th, that's like really, really far in advance. What happened is in one of the earlier episodes in April, they skipped from April 1st to April 14th. And so there's two weeks combined in there. And they did that because, you know, we are going to have general conference at the beginning of April. So What we're going to do is I'm just going to stay like way far ahead for like the next couple weeks until we hit general conference. And then I'll do a special like edition general conference episode or whatever. And that'll catch us up. So we're only like two episodes ahead. Right now I think we're like three, maybe four ahead. So um, you've got all that to look forward to. Also, keep an eye out for some special bonus content. Um, We talk about Mary and Martha in this episode, and I wrote a talk for Sacrament Meeting a couple months ago about Mary and Martha, so I will share that as well. So just all kinds of good stuff, all kinds of good stuff coming out. But first, let's get started with our traditional summary and rundown of what we studied this week. Matthew 18, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, of course, kids, come on. We need to become converted and like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And also, guys, be good to the kids. Jesus says be good to the kids, all right? So now, up next, we're going to talk offense or offensive stuff, like your hands and your feet and your eyes or, you know, I don't know. Jesus basically says, if your foot offends you, cut it off. If thy hand offends you, cut it off and cast them into the fire because it's better to enter into life, halt and maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. We want to make sure that we are taking care of things that are offending them and cutting them out of our life. Okay, up next, the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. And we we get the example of the lost sheep. You know, I love some lost sheep parables. Next, we find out what to do about when people offend us. Not hands or feet or eyes, but people. Jesus says that we need to take that issue to the person. He talks a little bit more about that. Next, in verses 18 through 20, the 12 get the keys to the kingdom. Then Peter asks him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus says, no, we forgive seven times 70. And then we get the parable of the, I don't know if it's the parable of the, ungrateful servant or what we need or what we need to call it but um, it's a servant who are, owes his lord like a whole lot and the lord forgives it but then that servant goes and like he has another person who owes him money and he makes a big deal about getting that money back and so the lord finds out like oh no this is very bad you are a wicked servant and so we learn a little bit about that we're going to talk about that and that's where we end in matthew 18 luke chapter 10 all right, so we learn about the 70, right? We're going to talk about the 70 a little bit more when we get to come follow me. Um, he calls the 70, and then he sends them forth. He gives them instruction on how to spread the gospel. After a while, we get a report. They return and report and say, hey, we're doing really good. Even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And so Jesus is really happy with the work that they're doing. Up next, we have a lawyer that stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know, well, what do you know? And he says, well, the law says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus says, yep, that's right, you got it. And then the lawyer says, well, but who is my neighbor? And that is where we get the parable of this Good Samaritan. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk about that. And last but not least, we have some sisters in the scriptures, Mary and Martha. Jesus is going to Mary and Martha's house, and we're going to learn how to choose the good part. So it's going to be an exciting week, a great episode. Just keep listening. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's jump right on into Come Follow Me, Um, and you know, it's broken up into little sections, and usually I like to delve into the sections, but the introduction today actually caught my eye, and it says, when you ask the Lord a question, you might receive an answer you did not expect. And they give the example of who is my neighbor, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, how many times should you forgive. And it says, if you are seeking to do the Lord's will, not to justify yourself, but because you really want to learn from him, the Lord will teach you how to live in a way that leads to eternal life with him. That, you know, I think... A lot of times I think it applies to, like, doctrine. Like, I have this big doctrinal question and I bring it to the Lord and, you know, He gives me His answer. But sometimes, and especially today this morning, I had an experience where I feel like this is more like the Lord telling me how I should go about my life. Like, how I can make my life better. But, you know, and I mentioned in some other episodes, I really struggle with self-esteem, with feeling worthwhile. You know, that's just, it's just one of my burdens that I carry in life. And so I was kind of ha- in a funk the last couple of days. Just, I have issues with my thyroid and it makes me gain weight and I have a hard time losing weight. And so I just feel chunky and funky and not cute. And I was just kind of in a funk, you know, just like, I don't feel good about myself. I'm just blah, right? Right. And so this morning on my way to work, I was praying, and I was just like, Holy Father, you know, help me feel better about myself. And I've been praying last night, like, help me see myself the way you see me. And he directed me to this really awesome talk by Neil A. Maxwell. I'm going to quote, I think, a little bit later on in the episode. But I'm driving to work, and I'm just, you know, blah and gray and just feeling funky. And normally I like to drive in silence because I like to listen to the Spirit. But this morning... Like, I just kept getting the thought, like, you need to turn on the Beatles radio station on your Amazon music. Now i listen to Amazon music, and you can, like, select a band, and they'll play songs that are like, you know, that band. And I'm like, well, I really want to have my quiet time. And it was like, no, you need to listen to the Beatles station. <laughs> I'm like, okay, is this, like, uh, prodding from the spirit that I'm supposed to listen to the Beatles? Like, what is this? And so I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, even if it's not from the spirit... It's uplifting. It's cool. Let's do this. And so I turn on the Beatles station, and I pull up to a stoplight. And while I'm pulling up, you know, the sun's kind of rising over to my right. And the first song that comes on the music station is Here Comes the Sun. And in that moment, I felt like Heavenly Father was just reaching out to me through that song and the, you know, the timing of the sunrise and just saying, you know, yeah, you feel funky and yeah, you feel a little gray and yeah, you feel a little down, but the sun is coming out. And you can still funky, feel funky and feel down and feel gray, but, you know, let's look at the sun. Let's look at the bright things in life and focus on that. And, you know, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. You're going to be fine. And just kind of walking me through that. And so that was a moment, to me, of taking a question and asking the Lord a question, being like, Heavenly Father, how can I help myself feel better about myself? And him giving me an answer through inspiration to listen to the Beatles of all things. And just saying, you know, don't focus on all the weaknesses and all the insecurities and all the negativity you feel about yourself, but focus on the sun. You know, double meaning there. Focus on the sun that's rising in the sky and bringing light. But then also focus on the sun, Jesus Christ, who is rising in my life and brings light to my life. So... Um, That was just a really cool experience. I wanted to share it with you guys. Okay, so awesome story for Come Follow Me. Let's start off onto the first section here. Ideas for personal scripture study. This comes from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I must forgive others if I am to receive forgiveness from the Lord. Okay, and this is the situation where Peter is asking Christ, how many times should I forgive someone? Should I forgive them up to seven times? And I actually went in and read, you know, I love some New Testament seminary teacher manual. You know, I just love it. So I went in and I read along, you know, this week as I was studying. And they've got a really good quote from Bruce R. McConkie that talks about the seven times. Like, do I forgive someone seven times or whatever? In the seminary manual, it says, Some religious leaders in Peter's day taught that an individual did not need to offer forgiveness to another person any more than three times. And asking the Lord if he should forgive someone seven times, Peter may have thought he was being generous. Okay, so Peter actually thought he was going above and beyond. Again, this is kind of one of Peter's, bless him, he's like trying so hard to be good, and he just kind of like sometimes loses the sight of like what, how good he could really be. Jesus then gives him the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so we know that the servant owed the king 10,000 talents. All right, and in Jesus' day, 10,000 talents equaled 1 million denarii, Roman currency. One denarii was a typical day's wage for a common laborer. So if we were to calculate how many years it would take for the servant to pay off this debt by dividing 1 million denarii by 365 days, we would get 273,973 years that the servant would have had to work to pay off this debt. Okay? So he would have to work do over like almost close to three hundred thousand years, guys, to pay off this debt. That's how big this debt was. Okay? And then how much did the fellow servant owe the servant? Okay, so he owed him one hundred pence. And that equals roughly one hundred denarii. Therefore, the fellow servant owed the servant roughly a hundred days worth of work, nearly just one third of his yearly salary. Okay, so we have like one-third of a year versus like almost 300,000 years of work. Like that is huge. And so the parable there, Christ is such a master of using hyperbole when he teaches. He's got this great big giant number, which would have been astronomical to the people who understand it and who are listening compared to this really small but realistic number that they would probably have to deal with on an everyday basis. And so I think sometimes we just kind of fly past it, seeing, you know, the 10,000 and the 100 and, you know, whatever. But it really is like this huge major difference between the two. And so there's a huge major difference when we go and we forgive someone of something. And yeah, it may be really hard. But you know what? We are being forgiven for so much more. I talk in episode one about the hardest thing I've ever had to forgive. So if you want to go back and listen to episode one, you can listen to the hardest thing I've ever had to forgive. I'm not going to talk about that here. Instead, I want to talk a little bit about this talk that they kind of redirect you to. It's called Forgiveness Will Change Bitterness to Love. And it's from the Ensign, May 2003. And um, it's by David E. Sorensen of The Seventy. And it's a really good talk. It's got a story about some neighbors that didn't get along and, you know, they forgave each other and that kind of thing. But I really like some of the doctrine in it. And especially there is a story from Brigham Young that talks about forgiveness is like being bit by a rattlesnake. You have two courses of action. When you are bit by a rattlesnake, you can either be really mad at the snake and you can go and you can run and find that snake and, you know, kill him and take it out on the snake. Or you can go seek help for the poison. And forgiveness is a lot like that. When someone hurts you... You can be really mad at them and try and get retribution on them, and, or you can take care of it and forgive them speedily. Um, I really like, though, that there's a quote here in this talk, though, that says, Now let me take a moment here to note that we must take care in our families not to cause spiritual or emotional snake bites in the first place. In much of today's popular culture, the virtues of forgiveness and kindness are belittled, while ridicule, anger, and harsh criticisms are encouraged. If we are not careful, we can fall prey to these habits within our own homes and families and soon find ourselves criticizing our spouse, our children, our extended family members. Um, And what I really like about this is because when I was younger... Like I was maybe like a preteen or so. There were some shows on, like just the comedy sitcoms that come on at night. And my mom would get like really offended at some of these. And I was like, Mom, like they're hanging out as a family. Like why are you so upset? Like why can we not watch this show? And she was like, look at where the laugh tracks are. And I'm like, what do you mean? You like the canned laughter that they pipe into, like, those, like, 90s sitcoms or whatever? And so I started watching it, and in this particular show, the kids were, like, really sassy and kind of snarky. And any time they were sassy or snarky to one another and put, like, their sibling down, then that was when the laugh track would hit. Or any time the kid talked back to the parents and said something really, like, sarcastic and snotty to the parents... That's where the laugh track would be. And she said, you know, by watching this, you are literally like, it's putting these thoughts in your brain that being sarcastic and rude to people is funny. And she's like, and it's training your brain to think that way. And she's like, I don't want any of my kids to think this way. And so ever since then, I watch now where is the canned laughter coming in, you know, in these sitcoms. And even go back and like reminiscing like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I watched this like back in the day. Look at their hair. It's so big. But I go back and I look and I look at those laugh tracks and I'm like, you know, I wonder if this had a lasting impact on us as a society today. You know, we're so sassy and we're so snarky sometimes and it's easy to be sarcastic when you're trying to, I guess, trying to get a point across, but you don't want to seem mean, but you can be sarcastic. I don't know. Sarcasm, I think, is sometimes overused a little bit. But so anyways, all that to say, (laughs) let's not be the snake that bites people, okay? I think that's important. And then the other thing that I want to quote from this talk is it says, I would like to make it clear that forgiveness of sins should not be confused with tolerating evil. The Savior asks us to forsake and combat evil in all of its forms, and although we must forgive a neighbor who injures us, we should still work constructively to prevent that injury from being repeated. A woman who is abused should not seek revenge, but neither should she feel she cannot take steps to prevent further abuse. A business person treated unfairly in a transaction should not hate the person who is dishonest, but could take appropriate steps to remedy the wrong. Forgiveness does not require us to accept or tolerate evil. It does not require us to ignore the wrong that we see in the world and around us and in our own lives. But as we fight against sin, we must not allow hatred or anger to control our thoughts and actions. And I really, really love that because... I feel like sometimes if we take this doctrine literally to heart that we need to forgive like unlimited amounts of times, I feel like sometimes we put ourselves back in the way of being hurt again and I think it's really important. That was at least it's a thought that occurred to me like as an adult. I'm like, Okay, I can forgive this person over and over again, but I need to if I know that they're gonna come back and hurt me, I need to put myself out of the position of being hurt or I need to prevent myself from being hurt by them. I'm really, really sensitive. i um, just kind of a sensitive person. It doesn't take a whole lot to hurt my feelings. And so I've found my that I, number one, I have to toughen myself up a little bit. And number two, I found that I have to avoid places or things that might cause me to be upset or hurt my feelings or just, you know, realize that there's other reasons behind whatever it is that they're saying. Um, my mom is in a political office in town and one of the places that I have learned I need to stay away from because I get so angry at the people that that do this is the comments on our local news, you know, like they'll post on Facebook and stuff, they'll post news articles and then people will go underneath and they'll comment and they will say the worst things about my mom. Like, my mom they make up nicknames about her they like make up rumors about her and say lies about her and i would get so upset and i finally got to the point where i'm like you know what This is doing no one any good. Like it's not doing me any good to read it and get all upset because it's not changing the other person. It's just making me sad. It's like me going out there and looking for snakes and being like, Snakes, hey, come bite me. Come bite me, snakes. And then being really upset when the snakes bite me. So I learned really quickly I don't need to read the comments on my local news website and the stuff that they post on social media. So things like that. If you have someone in your life that you know is going to come and bite you, you just need to stay away from them, right? Like we just need to stay away from them. And it also says we must not allow hatred or anger to control our thoughts or actions. And something I learned, and I think this was in a psychology class I took maybe in college years ago. I don't remember where I learned this from. But at the root of any time that you are angry, there is fear. Fear is at the root of all anger. If you ever think of it, you know, someone says something to offend you and you get really, really mad... Well, if you look at that anger that you have, is it maybe because you're a little afraid deep, deep down that maybe what they've said is true, or maybe you're afraid deep, deep down that they don't really care about you the way you would want to be cared about, or there's some kind of fear or insecurity down underneath that anger. And so it's been really interesting me for like the rest of my life as I go about whenever I get really angry at something, I kind of take a step back and be like, okay, so what is the fear? that is at this root of this anger. And I think that that has helped me a lot. I forgive pretty easily. Um, my husband even says I forgive too easily because I'm like, yeah, you said this thing about me, but now we're best friends, yay. Um, I just kind of live in the moment, I think. But um, one of the keys to that is honest and truly as I look at what people say to me and then I'm like, Okay, so why am I upset about this? Someone says something to me about maybe something I did at church as, you know, the primary president. And I take a a step back and be like, okay, so am I really upset about what they said? Or is it feeding into my insecurity that I'm not doing a good job? You know, and if I can take back and be like, okay, so maybe they're trying to offer like some constructive criticism. Maybe it's not the most like positive way to have, you know, given some constructive criticism, but is it criticism that maybe I needed to hear and I can do something about? Yeah, maybe it is, you know? And so if I can overlook that fear, then I can go back in and kind of see the situation for what it is. That was a huge long meandering trail, (laughs) y'all. I'm sorry, but thank you for sticking with me through it. Next section. Ooh, I'm so excited about this section. Okay, so Luke 10, 1 through 20, who are the 70? And this one, guys, you guys are going to meet my dad. Um, I didn't even ask him to come on and do an interview because he doesn't like people, so I don't think that he would actually come on and do an interview. But I'm going to talk about him in this section because my dad was actually the executive secretary for our Area 70, for two different Area 70s in our um, North Alabama area. He's a really interesting person. My dad, I love my dad a lot. He is a rocket scientist. So when people are like, oh, it's not rocket science, my dad can be like, well, (laughs) actually I am a rocket scientist, so it is rocket science. Um, And the kind of rocket science that he does is engineering, and it's computational fluid dynamics engineering. And so he goes in and he does all the math that calculates the fluids and how they flow and the vortices that they create and stuff when they're going really, really fast in the air. And apparently to do this branch of math, you have to be fairly crazy so I'm telling you all this about my dad before I read this next section, because if it sounds like I'm reading from a textbook, no, that's really how he talks. Like, he really does talk that way. He really does write his emails that way. So um, I'm just kind of giving you kind of an introduction to, to what you're about to hear, okay? Okay. <laughs> And so, like I said, I didn't ask him to come and be on my show because he's kind of very introverted. It's where I get my introversion from. I did email him, and I asked him about the 70. And this is what I asked him. And I said, Dad. Okay, so there's a section coming up and Come Follow Me that deals with the Quorum of the Seventy. And I told him what the section says. And I said, do you have any thoughts about the Seventy, their calling, their responsibilities? You know, I'm thinking about the time that you served as an executive secretary to the Seventy. I, you know, think I know kind of in general about the Seventy, but I don't at least really know what they do. You know, what all is entailed in their callings? Or is there anything else interesting you can tell me or, you know, things that you would want to add about the Seventy? And this is what he said back. He says, I'm not sure about what all you're asking. The 70, as indicated in the Old Testament and New Testament, they assist in the work of the gospel, acting under the direction of the presiding officers. In our dispensation, that means they act under the direction of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. The definitive scriptural description of the 70 is found in DNC 107, and this is verse 25. The Seventy are also called to preach the gospel and to be especial witnesses unto the Gentiles and in all the world, thus differing from the other officers in the church in the duties of their calling. Thirty-four. The Seventy are to act in the name of the Lord, under the direction of the Twelve or the Traveling High Council, in building up the church and regulating all the affairs of the same in all nations, first to the Gentiles and then to the Jews. Thirty-eight it is the duty of the travelling high council the quorum of the 12 to call upon the 70 when they need assistance to fulfill the several calls for preaching and ministering the gospel instead of any others so basically what he's saying there In DNC 107, it's saying that the 70, you know, while the Quorum of the Twelve and the Prophet are pretty much in Salt Lake, and yeah, they do travel around the, the entire world, but they're pretty much running the church from headquarters. And the 70 then are spread throughout all the world, and they are kind of taking care of things on a more local level, right? And Dad says, verse 38 is probably the best description yet. They act under the direction of the Quorum of the Twelve to fill the assignments throughout the world that the apostles simply cannot meet due to sheer numbers. That was the reason the Savior commissioned Seventy, like we see in Luke. He and the Twelve simply could not cover all the preaching assignments themselves, so he called assigned others to do the work. The organization of the Seventy is detailed in D&C 107-93-98. The Seventy are presided over by the Presidency of the Seventy. Seven members of the first quorum, called by the Quorum of the Twelve, to the special assignment. They meet with the Quorum of the Twelve. They receive assignments, and then they delegate authority to the other 70 to travel throughout the world accordingly, for example, to preside over state conferences. That's always done by assignment. There are currently eight quorums of the 70. I did not know that, guys, but there are eight quorums of 70, okay? That's a lot of, like, guys, right? And he said, as indicated in the Come, Follow Me excerpt, members of the first and second quorums of the 70 are designated as general authorities. They have authority throughout the world. Members of the first quorum are generally called for an indefinite period of time to conclude when they reach the age of 70. Which, again, I didn't know that, but I'm like, how random? There's so many 70s up in here. But basically, they're released and given emeritus status when they turn 70. All right, it simply means that they no longer have to travel and won't generally receive regular assignments. Members of the second quorum of the 70 are generally called for a period of 5 to 10 years, although that is not definite and seems to be being extended now. They are released when their service is concluded. Members of the third through eighth quorum of the 70 are designated as area authorities. Their authority is limited to a specific area, for example, the North American Southeast Area, the NASE, which is where we are, They do not have authority to direct the work outside of that specific area. They are generally called for a period of five to seven years and are released thereafter, as was Elder Bluth last month. And Elder Bluth was the um, member of the Seventy that my dad was the secretary for. All right. the area of the Seventy are usually presided over by three members of the First and Second Quorum of the Seventy called to serve as the area presidency over a given area. For example, the NASE area. Elder Costa is the area president here in the NASC area, and he's assisted by Elder Bowen and Elder Stanfill of the 70. They handle the day-to-day, week-to-week interaction with the direction of the Area 70 here in the NASE area. They report to and receive direction from the presidency of the 70. Bottom line of all this is that the 70 are called by the Lord to assist with the Quorum of the Twelve to administer and preach the gospel to all the world. They have a definite organization, and they act under the direction of the Quorum of the Twelve. They bear witness of the Savior and His Church through the world, wherever they are called, and assigned to serve and regulate the operation of the Church dad says he hopes this helps (laughs) so that I think was a really good I know there's not anything necessarily like super spiritual or scriptural building or anything about that but to me it was just really interesting to learn how the church works I had no idea that there were that many quorums of the 70 like I knew that there were several but I didn't realize that there were eight and that's a lot and um so I don't know it was just a really cool thing to kind of learn about the 70 this week I'm glad that we had that moment and come follow me um and, you know, like my dad referenced in the little excerpt here in Come Follow Me, and it says, Seventies are called to assist the Twelve, and their mission is special witnesses of Jesus Christ to all the world. So Seventies are organized into quorums. Members of the first two quorums are set apart as General Authority Seventies, while members of other quorums are set apart as Area Seventies. So that's a little bit about the Seventy. I think it's pretty cool. All right. The next section Luke 10:25 through 37. To obtain eternal life I must love God and love my neighbor as myself. And this is kind of the section of the scriptures that lead into the parable of the good samaritan okay so if we look at luke 10 the young man actually answers the question that christ has asked is what is written in the law and the young man says thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy strength with all thy mind as thy neighbor as thyself And to me this week, you know, I was thinking it's that last little phrase, thy neighbor as thyself. And I think before we can even go and love somebody else, we have to learn to love ourselves. And that's really what stood out to me. You know, again, I told you I was struggling this week with that. Like, it's been a hard week. And so that really stood out to me. So I went and I was like, well, you know, are there conference talks about building your self-esteem? I wonder if there are. And there are. um, Neil A. Maxwell. In his very first conference talk, he ever gave this is 1976 y'all very first neil a maxwell talk ever Um, it's called notwithstanding my weakness he talks about you know feeling okay about yourself even in your weakness and he starts it out talking about how he feels inadequate to being called to the Quorum of the Twelve. And I'm like, it's Neil A. Maxwell. Like, he talks about he's going to be a footnote in the page of the Quorum of the Twelve's history. Neil A. Maxwell, he is not a footnote. He is like the farthest thing from a footnote. But um, yeah, I just, I loved reading this talk. So I want to share a little bit of it to you. Um, here in the first paragraph, again, it's classic Neil A. Maxwell. I love it so much. It says, Now may I speak. Not to the slackers of the kingdom, but to those who would carry their own load and more. Not to those who are lulled into false security, but to those buffeted by false insecurity, who through laboring devotedly in the kingdom have reoccurring feelings of falling forever short. Does that describe any of you out there like, I'm raising my hand? Like Yes, I feel constantly like I'm not doing enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm constantly falling short. Again, love yourself before you can love your neighbor, right? And so, Neil A. Maxwell goes on to say, The first thing to be said of this feeling of inadequacy is that it's normal. There is no way the church can honestly describe where we must yet go and what we must yet do without creating a sense of immense distance. Following celestial road signs while in telestial traffic jams is not easy, especially when we are just moving next door or even across town. And in a kingdom where perfection is an eventual expectation, each other's needs for improvements have a way of being noticed. But you know, and this is, this is Lexi talking, this isn't Neil A. Maxwell, I'm not going to put this on him. But you know, I think a lot of times we think people notice our inadequacies and our imperfections a whole lot more than they actually do. I think everyone is so in tune to their own imperfections and their own inadequacy that they don't really have time a lot of times to look at other people's imperfections and inadequacies. So, again, you know, you may feel very imperfect, raising my hand again, you may feel like you're really struggling with stuff, but people won't necessarily see that. At least that's what I'm learning this week, all right? Um, I also love that Neil A. Maxwell talks about feelings of inadequacy are common. They're very common. And he says, so are the feelings of fatigue. And he says, you know, we need to heed the warning in DNC 6433 about not becoming weary of well-doing. He says, the scriptural advice, do not run faster or labor more than you have strength, suggests paced progress. Much as God used seven creative periods in preparing man and the earth, there is a difference, therefore, between being anxiously engaged and being over-anxious and thus under-engaged. And I was like, whoa, lightning bolt, like that's huge to me. Because I feel like I am over-anxious and sometimes that anxiety causes me to close off and become under-engaged. So, Especially when I'm feeling anxious about myself and my ability to do things. You know, if I'm feeling anxious, like, I really don't think I can do this hard thing, well, then I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to close off. I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to tell people I have a headache, and I'm just going to stay home, right? And so I think that tends to close this off, and then I will beat myself up for, like, the next couple weeks of, like, why couldn't you just do this thing? Why weren't you good enough? Why weren't you strong enough? Why didn't you tell them that you'd be there? And then, you know... That's that whole not loving yourself thing, right? Neil a. Maxwell continues, Some of us who would not chastise a neighbor for his frailties have a field day with our own frailties. Again, raising my hand, okay? Some of us who stand before no more harsh a judge than ourselves, a judge who stubbornly refuses to admit much happy evidence and who cares nothing for due process. Fortunately, the Lord loves us more than we love ourselves. Okay, I'm going to read that again because I think it's so important. The Lord loves us more than we love ourselves. So sometimes when we are feeling that lack of love for ourselves, we can turn to our Savior and remember how much our Savior and our Heavenly Father love us and rely on that love. And then once we feel that love, we can then extend that love to others around us. And that's where the loving thy neighbor as thyself can come in. Um, You know, I would maybe even like to change it to say, you know, love thy neighbor and love thyself. Um, Because I think one of the things that our world today is really lacking is a love of self. Um, we try and find self-fulfillment in all kinds of places like entertainment or food or drugs or alcohol, all kinds of places to fill that void of self-love that a lot of us don't have, and they become addictions because we're constantly chasing after that next high to kind of fill that void that we have of love inside ourselves. So I think it's a commandment even to love ourselves. Um, So love yourself, and then love your neighbor. So let's go on to the love your neighbor part. Um, You know, we got the story of the Good Samaritan this week, and I had a couple different thoughts on this. Um, As I was reading this story... You know, and it's a story I've read like a hundred million times, right? So, again, it's like, how do I make this fresh and new to myself? And I started thinking, I'm like, well, who's my neighbor? And I'm like, you know, it's people around me. And I try to be pretty nice. I think I'm a pretty nice person in general. And so I was like, well, who in my life is just driving me nuts that maybe I'm not so nice to? And I had a really hard time of thinking of anyone because, again, I just kind of love everybody. But then this one kid at school came to my mind. And, you know, I, as a teacher, I love all my students. I really do. But there's always one or two kids that just really gets under my skin and really drives me nuts. And this girl is, came to mind as someone who I'm like, okay, well, I really don't like this girl. I really just like, she drives me bonkers. Um, I know anytime she walks in, I have a co-librarian, and anytime she walks, girl walks into the library I'm like I'm out you get to deal with her like I'm done and so I realized this week I'm like I probably need to be a better neighbor to this girl and she's probably acting this way for a reason and so no matter what the reason is I need to go ahead and love her anyways and so I think that's what I'm going to do that's one of my goals of what I'm going to do but, um, as I was trying to figure out kind of a new take on the Good Samaritan this week, I started looking for conference talks again on the Good Samaritan to maybe give some a new example, a new insight, and I found one, and at first I was like, oh, I don't need to use this talk because it's for senior missionaries. It's by David B. Haight, and um, he was speaking to couples who were considering going on a mission, and I was like, that's not me. I don't, you know, need to worry about that until, like, years down the road, and, uh, and all kinds of other obstacles that need to happen before then. But I started reading the conference talk. And it actually had some really good insights. Um, He's talking a lot to these senior couples, people who are considering going on a senior couple mission. I think a lot of them felt like they were not good enough. Again, they didn't love themselves enough to love their neighbors. And so he's telling them, guys, you can do this. Like, there was a couple that showed up, and they, the man was grossly overweight, he says, and the woman was in a wheelchair, and he, the mission president was like, how are these two gonna serve? Like, they can't go out and knock on doors. Like, how are they gonna going to serve and so he felt impressed to send them to this tiny little branch in this like little kind of remote area and so he did the first couple weeks their letters were like oh we're just getting to know the people we're just getting to know the people there wasn't a whole lot going on and he was just kind of like heavenly father did i do the right thing in sending them out there like i don't know and he found after a couple weeks that the first week they brought like two or three people to the branch on sunday Two or three investigators. The next week it was like five or six investigators. And then it was like 10 to 15 investigators were coming each week. And then 20 plus investigators were coming each week. Because these two missionaries, they may not have looked physically able to go and do all these things that um, you would just normally associate missionaries with. Or, you know, or the 19 year old missionaries. Um, they can't do all the same stuff that the 19 year old missionaries can do. But they learn to love the people. And they just kind of threw themselves into the life of that little community and got to know people. And because of their really good examples and because of the genuine love that they had for their neighbor, people were really drawn to them. Um, it gave another example of a couple that went out into, I think it was South America that they went to. And, um, The woman was really concerned that she didn't know the language. She said her language skills were just really bad. She wasn't picking it up nearly as fast as the young elders were. And so she said, Well, you know, who are my neighbors? And she said, Of course, you know, my neighbors were the people I was called to serve. But she's like, You know who else is my neighbors? Is those young brothers and sisters who are learning the language so fast and they were so far from home. And she's like, You know what I can do? I can bake. I can bake pretty good. And so she started making cinnamon rolls and chocolate chip cookies for the elders and sisters there in her mission. And she became kind of a little slice of home for these brothers and sisters that were serving her or serving the area where she was in and were kind of homesick and lonely and, you know, kind of became like a little, you know, parental figure for a little while while they were there on their mission. And what a sweet way to take something that you are good at and kind of bless the lives of others. And so that's something that's kind of stood out to me this week. Um, and I want to read you some quotes from that David B. Haight talk. This is David B. Haight, my neighbor, my brother. And it's from the April 1987 conference. He says, and this is probably my favorite quote from the whole thing. He says, one of the most important lessons I have learned is that our capacity as children of God becomes what it has to be. We should never minimize or underestimate our ability to deal with challenges placed before us. The size or complexity of challenges need not be cause for alarm or despair. Human potentiality is perhaps the most squandered resource on earth and perhaps the least tapped. Okay, so I love that because he's saying, you know, don't not take on big challenges because you think you're not good enough or because you don't love yourself enough, right? The big challenge of loving your neighbor, you can take on. And again, the most important lessons he's learned is that our capacity as children of God becomes what it has to be for whatever challenge is in front of us. You know, my capacity to serve as a primary president, I felt like maybe was not very big, but then I walk up to the calling and say, okay, I'm going to do this, and my capacity to love and to serve grows right? So never minimize or underestimate our ability to deal with challenges placed before us because, you know, the Lord gives us things that are harder than we can do a lot of times, and He does that on purpose because He wants us to grow, and He wants to be there with us as we go through that challenge. So nothing is ever impossible with the Lord. It's possible, but there may be a lot of growth involved in that challenge. David Behate continues, perhaps second only in importance to learning that our capacity is, you know, available to us is acquiring a personal knowledge of God, our Eternal Father, and Jesus Christ in our freedom of ability to learn, to meet problems with the capacity to comprehend, and then do. Okay, so if you are considering a mission or if you are considering taking on a challenge in your life, right, he says, first of all, understand that you have the capacity to do do this. Secondly, acquire a personal knowledge of God, our Eternal Father, and Jesus Christ, and then acquire knowledge of your freedom and our ability to learn, Learn how much you can learn, right? And then meet problems with the capacity to comprehend and do. So take stock of those resources that you have, and then you know what in your capacity can you do to make this challenge better, is what he's saying. And he says, many of you do not appreciate what you can do. You can become a great anchor of strength to our neighbors. And he goes on to ask, who are our neighbors? Well, they are all a father's children. What a blessing we can be to them as we... With wisdom and love, bring the gospel of our Savior to them with its eternal covenants and blessings. And so that's really what I started thinking about is I'm like, you know, how can I bring the gospel to my neighbors? And, you know, as a teacher, I'm not allowed to actively preach or proselyte or even have really any sort of opinion on morals. I get, you know, I could get in trouble if I do that. But I can love these kids, even the ones who I really don't like, I can still love them. And I feel like in some ways I have been given a a blessing to really love the rowdy boys, which (laughs) sounds silly, but I guess it's because my brother was kind of, you know, dweeb knocker is the word I use to describe these boys because they just kind of dweeb knock around. But my brother was a definite dweeb knocker. He's about 12 years younger than me. And so I was mama pretty much. A lot of the times when he was growing up, he's the youngest of five siblings, bless his heart, and the older four are girls. We're all girls, so he has like four little mothers like after him all the time. And so growing up, I was kind of like a little mama to him. And so when he was in middle school, you know, I was there and I saw that. I saw him go through middle school and be kind of a dweeb knocker. And so these boys, when I see them dweeb knocking around at my school, they remind me a lot of my brother. Also, the super hyperactive ones remind me a lot of my son when he was like four or five years old, he was so hyperactive, like running around like a crazy person. I mean, he was a boy. That's what boys do. They're kind of just wild boys. Like there's types of boys that are just like wild boys. And, you know, we knew really quickly. We are like, he's not ADHD. He's just a wild man. And so we got him in sports and let him run out all his energy after school. And he was able to kind of do okay in school. And it passed. As he got older, he matured. And he wasn't so wild anymore. And so I see when I go to school these boys who are just like crazy wild. And I love them because they remind me of my brother and my son. And I see that in them. And I have a whole lot... Larger tolerance for these boys. I think than a lot of teachers do at my school and I become a safe place I think one of them in particular has been on my mind this week Um, He's now a junior in high school and he had a lot of discipline problems when he came through our school But I have a little card and it's taped to my desk and this kid wrote down Mrs. Austin you are more than a librarian. You are a superhero And I have that superhero card that you are more than a librarian, you are a superhero. That he thought about me and I have that taped to my desk to remind me that when I am, you know, coming in contact with kids that drive me crazy or who have the ability to test my patience really well, to remember that I have that extraordinary love, that superhero love, to love these kids who might just make me nuts, right? And so, that's how I've decided I can love my neighbors this week. And also, it reminded me of a scripture in the Book of Mormon. Um, and this is a scripture in Alma. It's Alma thirty one thirty five, And we've got Alma. He's going to the Zoramites. And, you know, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And he just doesn't even know what to do with them. And so, he's praying. And this scripture says, Behold, O Lord, their souls are precious, and many of them are our brethren. Therefore, give unto us, O Lord, power and wisdom that we may bring these our brethren again unto thee and so that is one of my favorite scriptures that I remember whenever I'm struggling with someone difficult or wherever I'm struggling with like a missionary opportunity this is what I remember it's you know the people around me their souls are precious and many of them are our brethren all of them are our neighbors right Therefore, give unto me, O Lord, power and wisdom, that I may bring these, my brethren, again unto thee. And so that's what I try and focus on with the my neighbor, my brother, and who is thy neighbor, and love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's kind of what I got out of the parable of the Good Samaritan this week. I know that was like a long winding road that we went down, but that's kind of how I applied it to my life this week. Alright, so up next we have the section that says we can choose that good part by making choices that lead to eternal life, and that's from um, the Mary and Martha story, and that's actually what my talk is about, so look for bonus content coming soon with that talk in it. Okay, so up next we have Ideas for Family Scripture Study and Family Home Evening. What hymns can your family sing that relate to the truths taught in these chapters? Two examples are, Lord, I would follow thee, and have I done any good? But there are many others. How do the words in these hymns help your family better understand the Savior's teachings? And the hymn that I chose for this was, Because I Have Been Given Much. And these are the lyrics to it. It says, Because I have been given much, I too must give. Because of thy great bounty, Lord, each day I live. I shall divide my gifts from thee with every brother that I see who has the need of help from me. Because I have been sheltered and fed by thy good care, I cannot see another's lack and I not share. My glowing fire, my loaf of bread, my roof safe shelter overhead, that he too may be comforted. Because I have been blessed by thy great love, dear Lord, I'll share thy love again according to thy word. I shall give love to those in need. I'll show that love by word and deed. Thus shall my thanks be thanks indeed. And I have always loved that hymn. I've loved that hymn a lot. But I've loved it even more in the past couple years. Because when I was going to church with my husband for those first year or so of our marriage, um, we sang this hymn in sacrament meeting one day. And he turned to me and he says, This hymn reminds me of you. And I was like, oh, that is like the nicest compliment that anyone could give me. I love that you think this about me. And so it makes me think of my husband every time I sing it. And, you know, he has an incredible ability to love his neighbor. Um, I have seen him do crazy things to love, you know, just strangers around him. I remember when we were first married, he... My husband, first of all, I have to say, is very budget conscious. Like that's one of his big strengths. Um, he's really good at managing money. He's really good at reminding me, you know, we're staying out of debt. We're sticking to a budget. We're going to be really good. And when we first got married, both of us were kind of in like starting positions of our job, and so we weren't making very much, you know. And so it was really important then to be super budget conscious, and he was like he was counting every penny. We were trying really hard to save everything. Like I mean, and it would stress him out big time when we would. Not not make our savings goal each month and so he would get really stressed and like really upset about it and just fuss and you know he just had a hard time with it but I remember one day we'd gone grocery shopping and there was something I don't know, remember if there was a birthday at our house there was some reason he was in the bakery and he was in the bakery by himself and there was a man in front of him and The man was trying to pick up a birthday cake for his son. It was a Spider-Man birthday cake. His card kept getting declined. And the man said, well, I don't have any other way to pay for this. I don't know what to do. There should be money on the card, and it's not coming through. And um, my husband, the super budget-conscious man that he is, stepped up and paid for that birthday cake. He was like, man, I got it. I got it. I don't even know you but I got it. You know and loving his neighbor that way. And that's this is when I walked up when I saw him paying for this man's birthday cake. And I remember thinking what a sacrifice that was for him who was so concerned about money and our budget and sticking to the budget to take what little money we had and put it towards this man's birthday cake for his son. And so that was a really good example to me. And so when I read the lyrics of this song, because I haven't been given much, it not only reminds me of my husband telling me that it reflects on me, but it reminds me of my husband because he does this all the time for strangers and people around him that need help and who need love. And he's, um, you know, service is one of his love languages, and he's really able to give that to others, and I just think it's beautiful. And so that's what this this hymn and this section of Come Follow Me reminded me of. The next section says, why would Jesus want us to become like a little child? And what are some characteristics of children that would make us more Christ-like if we incorporated them into our lives? Um, Again, I think in this season of my life, the thing that I am working on is trust with my Heavenly Father. Um, Trust that He can give me good gifts and it's okay. There's no, um, you know, bad gift on the horizon as a string attached. But also that I can trust even when, you know, there's trials and hard things that I can trust him that I will come out through it on the other side and so you know I watch and this may this may seem funny but um one of my favorite things to do is to watch my dog and you know my dog we know that dogs pretty much have the same intelligence as like a two or three year old child I mean they're obviously they're not talking but um their intelligence level is right there at a toddler and so I equip my dog to a toddler a lot of times and so it's so sweet to me to see him walking with my son when they're out on a walk and they're walking and maybe my son will stop or my son will turn and I see my dog just turn and look at my son like waiting for instructions just you know with such trust of like okay so we're going off the path that we normally walk but I'm following you what do you want me to do And I think, I'm like, we need to be like that with our Heavenly Father, you know, turning to Him and saying, okay, so this isn't a path that maybe is a little different than what I'm used to, but I'm following you, what do you want me to do? And just that constantly turning back and looking up and turning back and looking up that my dog does, I'm like, we need to do that to our Heavenly Father. And so, I know it's not a child, I know it's a dog, but um, that is what came to my mind when I read this section in, come follow me. Um, Okay, so I have to tell you guys a story about this next section. This next section says, What would make the parable of the Good Samaritan come alive for your family? Would they enjoy wearing costumes and acting it out? And be sure to help family members see how they can be like the Good Samaritan. Okay, so before we started Come Follow Me in January of this year... And we wanted to do a training for my primary kids. I wanted to do a training and tell them, you know, this is how Come Follow Me works, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to change your life and get all excited, kind of a Come Follow Me pep rally, right? And so I found this lesson, and... What I had the kids do is I had one kid come up and kind of read the story of the Good Samaritan. We kind of talked about it. And then I had kids come up and I had them act out the story of the Good Samaritan. And I was like, see guys, wasn't that more fun than just reading the story? Like we're acting it out. We're bringing it to life. We're applying it to our own lives. Like this is going to be a really cool curriculum, right? And so I had the bishop come in to talk to them as well. And so at that point, the bishop got in. And so the bishop comes in and he's talking to the kids and he's, you know, talking about Come Follow Me and how it's going to be really great. And he's like, so what do you guys know about Come Follow Me? How is it going to be good? And this one kid raises his hand and he's like, Sister Austin says we don't need to read the scriptures anymore. We can just act it all out. And the bishop turns to me with like a... What have you told the look on his face? And I was like, no, 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 guys, we're still going to read the scriptures. We're still going to read the scriptures. We're just going to make them come alive for us this year as we read them. And so anytime I see, you know, kids acting out the Good Samaritan, that's what it reminds me of, because (laughs) apparently Sister Austin told them they didn't have to read the scriptures, they just needed to act it all out. So I'm not saying that. I'm definitely saying we read the scriptures, we just, you know, add more to it to make it more applicable to our lives. And the last one is, is it ever difficult to fit spiritual things into your family schedule? The story of Mary and Martha could inspire a family council or family home evening about how to do this. As a family, you can make a list of ways to choose that good part. And I saw this this weekend. I had a lot of stuff going on this weekend. And I knew that this episode wasn't finished. But there's a lot of things and they kind of just drained my energy. And so I like to record a lot of these on Saturdays, Friday nights and Saturdays is usually my big recording time. I do maybe one or two things during the week, but um, the bulk of my recording happens Friday and Saturday. And I had big things happening both nights um, and even afternoons. And so I just kind of let it go. And so I was really worried. I'm like, how am I going to fit, you know, this recording that I really need to do for this podcast? How am I going to fit it into my weekend? And I realized that, hey, this is the fifth Sunday in March. I don't have word counsel. Awesome. I can spend this extra hour recording for the podcast. And so I'm real quick, like, scooting in here and getting what I need to get done on the podcast. And I'm fitting it in. And I'm finding that as I do that, I, I had a prayer in my heart. You know, Heavenly Father, I can't do a million takes this week. I don't have the time to do a million takes So please just make this, you know, flow. I don't even know what I'm going to say. Just let it flow out. And I feel like he really has. He's done a great job with that. So our Father is always there. Our Father loves us. Our Father loves us more than we love ourselves. And so that's the testimony I want to leave with you guys this week. Let's focus on how our Father loves us and, you know, graft that love that our Father has for us into our own hearts for ourselves. And then once we love ourselves and know ourselves enough to know our strengths, spread that out to that love out to others around us and bless others with our love and with our light. And that would be my challenge to you this week. It's what I'm going to try and do. So y'all have a great week. Be good. Keep reading. Be a light. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye y'all. The Savior said is not an official product or endorsed by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions, and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash said. Have a question or comment? Email me at said at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.